All right. We're in church. We might as well start out with a little bit of honesty here. All right. I need by a show of hands for anyone in the room who has ever been in a legitimate fight. All right. Just go ahead and admit it. Everybody else, look around and judge these people hard. All right. Many of us in here, we've been in a fight. That may be a physical fight, uh, punches thrown, shoving, pushing. Uh, that could be just an argument. Some of you are like, yeah, I was in one of those this morning on the way to church until we walked in and put our smile on and showed everyone how big our Bible was. Many of us in here, we've been in a fight. And uh, several years ago, I was on an indoor soccer team. And uh, just the entire game, this team was absolutely demolishing us, but not on the scoreboard, like on the field. They were rough. They were pushing. They were tripping. They were taking cheap shots one after one uh, when we didn't even have the ball, (laughs) right? Like it was terrible. And uh, I think for most of us, because most of us raised uh, our hands in this room that we have been in a fight, you know that moment of rage that comes over you, that righteous indignation that something has to be done in this moment. And in that moment, the lights go down and it's like a spotlight is on you and you go to another world and you realize something's got to be done about this and I'm going to be the one to do it, right? So this guy checks me into the wall and I didn't even have the ball. And so like any good man of God, you know what I did? I turned the other cheek. Just kidding. I didn't turn the other cheek at all. I gave him a few yards head start and I came up behind him and I shoved him so hard that he face planted right into the turf. And you know those little rubber things that are in the turf? Yeah, he was spitting those out of his mouth. That was my fight moment. And I don't know how many of you have had that fight moment, but you hear the background music, everything's aligned and you know I've got to do something. That's right. The rest of you are totally uh, checked out like, that guy is one of my pastors? Oh, no. (laughs) For those that have been in a fight, we know that sometimes we walk away with regret. In fact, most of the times we do. We're like, oh, man, I totally lost my head. I lost my cool. That wasn't right. Uh, But what we're talking about in this series is not... Uh, the fight that we have with our family members. It's the fight that we have for our family. And we will never, ever walk away saying it was not worth it to fight for my family. In moments, in seasons, in discussions, in times, we'll often go our separate ways for a few minutes and say that was not worth the fight, right? But when we fight not with one another, but we fight for one another, it's worth it every single time. And so this morning, uh, for all of us in this room, we're at different stages and places in life. Some of us are uh, single, some are married, some uh, you already have kids, some wish you had uh, different kids than you have now. And we're in different places and seasons in life. But I think when we look at the life of the man that we're going to talk about today, his name is Nehemiah. No matter where we are in this room, we can find uh, some inspirational things about his life. We can see how a man honored uh, God, uh, but he fought for 
his family. He fought for his people. And so we're going to see kind of through the context of how we can apply this to our family. But in life, we can take some great principles from the life of Nehemiah. And so I want to just begin to read to you a little bit of his story. And it's found uh, from the very beginning in Nehemiah chapter one. It says in, uh, it was the month of Keslev in the 20th year. At the, t- at the time I was in the place, I'm sorry, I was in the palace complex at Susa. Hannah and I, one of my brothers, had just arrived from Judah with some fellow Jews. I asked them about the conditions of the Jews who were there who survived the exile and about Jerusalem. They told me the exile survivors who are left there are in the province are in bad shape. Conditions are appalling. The wall of Jerusalem is still rubble. The city gates are still cinders. And here's what happened. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. I mourned four days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The walls in this time around a community represented their protection. It represented their strength against enemy opposition. And so when the walls were literally lying in ruin, in rubble, it left them and their community and their families open and vulnerable to being overtaken and ruled by their enemies. And I think when we look at the family, certainly the, the way families are in America, in our culture, I think we could say that the walls built around our families for protection, what was once supposed to be a place where we could thrive in the fullness of everything that God had planned for us, what was once there now maybe lies a little in ruins. The walls are our defense, our our community, our place where God has positioned us to experience his fullness. We're now open and we're now vulnerable to the enemy being able to come and take over and have his way and have his rule. We could all agree that our culture is this way, but where it gets really difficult to truly kind of self-examine our own homes is when we have to think about the reality, you know what, have, have I been, as the, as the leader of my home, as the parents in our home, as, as the ones who are in charge of our to- homes, have, can we look in the mirror, have, have I been one who has built the walls in my family to be a place where God's plan could be experienced and realized by my children? Have I been someone in the community of faith who is a wall builder to set up an environment, to set up a community, to set up a family in the way where God could show up, where our family could realize the fullness of everything that God has? I would propose that not because we're bad people, Not because we have bad motives, but because we live in a culture and because we experience all the things that come our way in daily life, that it is possible that maybe, just maybe in some of our homes and in our communities that our next generation, our children 
are left a little unprotected and vulnerable to the enemy being able to come in and rule. It's a hard thing to think about that maybe we're not exactly where we want to be. But I'm going to ask us all to do that. As we look at Nehemiah's story, he hears, he hears that his city, his homeland is lying in ruins. They're in bad shape. And because of this, he's, he's physically revealing his empty heart, his hurting heart for his people. And so he goes to the king and he's in the king's presence because Nehemiah, he's, he's a pretty ordinary guy. And you think, well, how did, how did he go to the king? How did he do this? Well, he is what's called a cup bearer. And a cup bearer, I mean, it sounds like pretty cool. I'm, I'm a cup bearer for the king. But actually what that means is that he gets to drink the wine before the king to make sure it's not poison. Like you're so ordinary, Nehemiah, that I want to make sure that you're the one that dies if the cup is poisoned. You're, you're dispensable. Like, you're just, just drink this, hopefully you make it, and then hand it to me if it's all good. He's the cupbearer for the king. And so he's performing his duties and drinking lots of wine, I guess. I don't know. And the king says, what's, what's wrong, Nehemiah? You're, you're not yourself. I can tell that something's going on. Tell me about it. And so he begins to tell the king of the situation and what's going on back in his homeland. And so the king says, Nehemiah, what, what do you want? Nehemiah, praying under my breath to the God of heaven. I, I said, if it please the king, and if the king thinks well of me, send me to Judah, to the city where my family is buried, so I can rebuild it. The king with the queen sitting there along with him said, how long Will your work take and when should I expect you to return? I gave him a time and the king gave his approval to send me. When we look, look at where he went from there. He took some action. The king gave him permission. He had his plan together and they went and they started rebuilding the walls. And soon after everything was all good until it wasn't because their enemies found out that they were rebuilding the city. The enemies found out that they are doing something about their situation. They're beginning to rebuild the walls. And as their enemies found out, they began to strategize. And so he, Nehemiah gathered the people together, gathered the families together. And here's what he said to them in opposition to their enemy. So I stationed armed guards at the most vulnerable places of the wall and assigned people by families with their swords, lances, and bows. After looking things over, I stood up and I spoke to the nobles and the officials and everyone else. Don't be afraid of them. Put your minds on the master, great and awesome, and then fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, and your wives, and your homes. We are here to do a work. We are here to do a job. Fight, fight, fight. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Family is worth the fight. 
As we look at Nehemiah's story, I think there are three things and there are many, many more things that we could talk about. And there are many inspirational things about this ordinary man, Nehemiah, that was used to do uh, crazy, extraordinary things. But I want to look at, at three principles found in the life of Nehemiah. Number one, Nehemiah, he fought with vision. He was a fighter and he fought with vision. As you read the story and you hear the story, if I were to ask you, what was Nehemiah's vision? Chances are nine out of 10 would say, well, his vision was to rebuild the wall. But I want to propose to you that the wall was what was in front of him. The wall was the immediate need that needed to be done, but that wasn't really his most important mission. That wasn't really the most important vision for what Nehemiah knew needed to be done. See, Nehemiah wasn't just there to build the walls. I believe the vision of Nehemiah went much further than that. It was that his community, his family, his homeland would be rebuilt and God would be able to reveal the fullness of everything that he had for his people. That is a big vision. And sometimes I think we do the same thing. We know what's in front of us. We know the task ahead of us that's right here in our face because we have schedules to keep. We have plans to keep. We have full days from the time we wake up till the time we go to sleep. We've got everything going on and everything right in front of us. And sometimes we settle for the vision of the immediate rather than experiencing the fullness of the vision of what is most important for our families. The immediate, I need to build a wall. We got to get this done. We got to do it. Yes, great. Yes, it's got to be done. It's there. We should do that. But what's most important is to rebuild and regain the place that God has for us to experience his fullness in our lives. We often settle for having a vision just for the immediate, what needs to be done now rather than a vision for what is most important. When I think about settling for the immediate in the context of our families, uh, an example would be son or daughter, get good grades. Like that's a cool thing. That's a great thing. We should all get good grades, right? And you want to go to college and you want to like not have to repeat the seventh grade again and again for the second time, you know, like that's a good thing. We got to get good grades. But that's not really the end all. I mean, the most important thing about getting good grades is to always work hard with integrity and give your best. And you can imagine if if grades was was simply the the long term vision, if that's the end goal, just get good grades. What if you have a really, really smart kid and they don't have to work hard at all and they still get straight A's? What if you have a really, really, really dumb kid and they're just willing to cheat their way because it's about getting a good grade, right? I'm just kidding. Nobody in here has dumb kids. There's other people that have dumb kids. Not in here. It's not about the grade. It's about working hard, learning integrity. It's about the hustle. It's about giving it all you have. I mean, that's a great principle to learn. The immediate could be just do what I say. Go do this. Why? Because I said so. Okay, that's an okay thing. We're going to live with that the rest of our lives. Our boss is going to tell us to do something. We don't really understand why. Okay, it's important. You got to learn to do what your authority says to do. Okay, I get that. But isn't it more important to learn how to make great decisions on your own? Isn't that what we would really want our kids to learn? Not just do what I say, 
Sometimes we might have a vision for the immediate. When we say build a life for yourself. Work really hard to get great grades. Make sure that you're the best on the field. You'll never be the one to get cut from the team. Make sure that, that you make it into the choir. You get the lead part in the musical. Make sure that you do, build a life for yourself. Do really, really well. Work hard. But sometimes that comes at the expense of building a life that outlasts this one. I can't tell you how many times I've seen college student after college student after college student. They work their way through middle and high school and they have a job and they work really hard and they get pretty good, pretty good grades and they have a lot of opportunity of where they're going to go to school because they have uh, great grades and they're offered scholarships and all these types of things. And it's great to build a life here. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's great to do well, but I can see many times where it came at the expense of them building what was most important and it's what outlasts this life. Because what does that college student do when their faith is challenged like it's never been challenged before when they're on the university campus? What happens to that student when they experience the loss of someone who is close to them and they don't know how to handle that death or they don't know how to handle that absence? What happens when the unforeseen thing comes their way and all they have to stand on are their accomplishments and their grades and their education and there's no foundation that lasts beyond that because they were too busy for church, they were too busy to listen to another sermon, they were too busy to do their devotions during uh, middle and high school years, they were too busy to invest into the things that would really sustain them throughout life. I've seen it over and over and over again. My oldest kid is only six, right? I don't really have a lot of authority on how to parent, but I do have the perspective of a pastor who works every day with middle and high school students. And I can tell you the most important thing for a middle or high school student is to not just be connected to a Sunday morning service for an hour. The most important thing for a middle or high school student is to be absolutely engaged and belong to a family of people their age where they're able to learn and grow and experience what God has for them at this stage in life because it only gets harder from here. And if we're constantly encouraging our kids, build a life for yourself, go get a job, you need to learn how to work. Yes, that's great, but not at the expense of building a life that outlasts this one. Never at the expense. Could we be those who fight for what is most important? We don't get bogged down. We don't get distracted by the immediate. But we fight with everything we have for our families to experience the fullness of what God has. We often settle to raise well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids. That's what our culture says. That's what our world says we're supposed to do. Let's raise these well-rounded, well-educated, and happy kids. I think there's a vision beyond that to raise kids who are not just well-rounded, but they're Christ-centered. Everything in their life revolves around the plans that God has for them. Why? Because he really wants to, us to obey all of his rules? Nope. He doesn't actually even need our behavior. Whether I go out and I cheat on my wife tomorrow, God is still on his throne whether I do that or not. You know why we follow God's plans? Not because he said so. That sounds a little weird to even hear. 
We follow God's plans because they're the best ones for our life. And he loves us so much that he wants nothing but good for us. We, we raise Christ-centered, biblically anchored, able to decipher and determine the truth based on something that never changes. World changers. We're not just going to settle to be on the soccer field for eight hours a week. We're also going to serve, and we're going to find places to serve our community. We're not just going to work really hard to get great grades. We're also going to make sure that we are a family that's generous to other people, that we're building something that outlasts this life. The vision for our family, it's a high, high calling, and it's going to take a fight. But just like Nehemiah said, fight for your brothers, fight for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. The fight for vision is worth it every time. Nehemiah didn't just stop at vision. He, he took that vision. He said this vision is something to be worth following. And he took action. He fought with action. As we go back to verse 6, the king asked him a question. It says, when he's sitting beside the queen, he asked, how, how long are you going to be gone? And see, somehow Nehemiah knew the answer already. He knew what he had to do. He had this vision of what had to be done. And he did what he could do. He, he went back to his room. He went back to his, his house. He went back to his place in the palace and he got a piece of paper out and he began to write down some plans and he began to strategize. And he thought, I, I'm not very smart, but, but I think I can do this. I, I, think I, can, I think I can work on this. I think I can take a step here. And he begins to strategize and figure out what am I gonna need and how long is this going to take me? Because when I talk to the king, he's going to ask me, how long will you be gone? How long do you need? And so he was ready with an answer and he gave him a time and the king gave his approval to me. And then he went on and he said, I, I don't just need the time off. Could you also provide me with some letters? Can you also provide me with an order so that I could have some timber to build what I need to build and to have a place to stay while I'm there building it? He took action. And there are some of us in this room that we don't feel qualified. It's a continual struggle for me personally to feel like, am I, am I really the kind of dad that I want to be? Am I really the kind of dad that I want to be for my kids? Am I really the kind of spouse that I, I want to be for my wife? Am I really the kind of leader? And the enemy will come to us over and over and over and over again. And I think the answer for us is just to keep walking. Just take some steps. Okay, how long will this take? I'm not sure. I'm, not, I'm really not great at math, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep trying. Oh, I ran out of paper. I got to go get some more paper. I got to keep going here. I got it. He took steps. Yes, he prayed. He was broken before God. He fasted. He got a vision. He knew what he was doing, but then he took a step and he began to walk. We may not be educated with everything that parent, parental experts have to offer us. We may not have attended all the conferences on how to be a great spouse and how to be a great leader in our home. We may not even know that much about the Bible, but he would ask, can you take a step to do what you can do? Because it says, the generous hand of my God 
the generous hand of my God. When I was faithful to do what I could do. When I was faithful to take the steps that I knew to take. My God was generous and he gave me favor with the king. Don't, don't be discouraged in the small steps. See, Nehemiah's faithfulness in the ordinary is what led to him experiencing the fruitfulness of the extraordinary. His faithfulness to be a cupbearer in the place where God had him every day. His faithfulness to continue, okay, I'll drink the cup again. Okay, I'll drink the cup again. And somehow he had an audience with the king because of his continued faithfulness. We can never, ever, ever underestimate what consistency in the lives of our kids can do. I was told a long time ago, and some of you have heard me say this before by a mentor of mine, and he quoted an old missionary that he couldn't even remember the guy's name. So this has probably been around for a long time, but he said, we teach what we know, but we duplicate who we are. We teach what we know, and we would want to say and tell our children, respect others, but yet they hear us disrespect other people all the time. We wonder why our kids talk back to us and treat us with such disrespect, but yet that's all they see us doing to other people. We want to tell our children, God is the most important thing in your life, but they don't see it in ours. See, we we teach what we know, but for for Nehemiah, I, I don't just have this vision. I'm not just talking a good game. I'm actually doing something about it. My life is different. I'm leaving what was ordinary and what was common for me and what was somewhat comfortable for me in the king's palace. And I'm stepping out and I'm saying, I will go and do what I can do. I will go and rebuild the wall. Could we be moms and dads? Could we be leaders in this room that say, I will be the one to live with integrity. I will allow God to work through me in such a way that I respect others, that I honor others, that I put Christ first, that I make him the center priority of my life so that when my kids look at me, they won't just be hearing what I say, but they will be doing what I do. Isn't that a scary thought in the other direction? What if my kids grow up to do what I do? What if my kids grow up to treat people the way that I treat other people? What if my daughter grows up to marry a man that treats her the way I treat my wife? What if my son grows up to treat his wife the way I treat mine? That's what will happen, by the way. That will happen. Because we don't just teach what we know. But we duplicate who we are. What action needs to be taken in our own lives? To experience this vision that God has for our homes to be a place where the plan of God can be rebuilt and restored. Where our kids and our homes can experience the fullness of everything Jesus has for us. We can never, ever underestimate what consistency can do. What the life well lived can do in the lives of those following us. Nehemiah, in this next part, says, When Sambalot, Tobiah, Geshem, and the rest of the enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no more breaks in it, even though I hadn't installed the gates yet, Sambalot and Geshem sent this message, Come and meet with us in the valley of Ono. 
I knew they were scheming to hurt me, so I sent messengers back saying this. I'm doing a great work, and I can't come down. Why should the work come to a standstill? Just so I can come down and see you. The last thing that Nehemiah fought with was unwavering commitment. He was committed to doing what he knew he needed to do. He had clear vision. Vision that went way beyond the immediate and what he saw in front of him. He took the steps that he needed to take. He took some action. He did what he could do and allowed God to fill in the gaps of what he couldn't do. And he fought with commitment. Four times they came to him. Four times they came to him and they said, come down from there. Let's, let's have a conversation. No, I'm sorry. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down there. I'm busy doing something that's important. They came back again. Maybe, maybe we'll wear him down. Hey, come, come down from there. We, we need to have a conversation. We got to figure this out. We know you're trying to rebuild it. We just want to talk to you. No, I'm sorry. I'm doing a good work. But see, sometimes the fight that we're in is worth a fight. And in that moment, he fought against the enemies that would want to distract him and detour him and bring other things his way. And you notice that in this, it came as an opportunity. Like they didn't come with their bows and spears. They came like, hey, I think we can work something out here. Why, why don't you just come down from there? Why, why don't you just come and have a conversation with us? Sometimes the fight is going to be worth a fight. And that's where our commitment comes in. There will always be an enemy that wants to take more of our time away from our families. It's worth a fight. I'm sorry. I know that you're going to pay me overtime, but I have things to do. I'm doing a great work over here. I'm experiencing the reality of fulfillment and purpose that goes beyond my day job. That's what Nehemiah did. King, I know I have a day job, but would you just allow me to go and do something a little bit more important than my day job for a few minutes, for a few years? It may require a fight with that kid in your home that thinks they know what they really, really, really want because all their other friends have it and they really, really, really want it too. I'm sorry, son. I'm sorry, daughter. We're not going to operate that way. We have a work to do. I'm doing a great work up here. I'm sorry, come down there. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't quite hear you. I have a great work to do. We continue in faithfulness to commit against the opposition that comes our way. There will be fight after fight after fight. People may call us weird. Why do you operate your home that way? Why did you say no to that? I mean, every 13-year-old has porn in their pocket called a cell phone. I mean, every 15-year-old has an Instagram account where they can compare themselves to everyone else's life to make sure that they're never happy with their own. I mean, shouldn't we let them all do that? Am I telling you, don't let your teenager have Instagram? No, I'm not telling you that. I'm saying you got to work that out for your own and don't make the decision without thinking about it. There's an enemy out there and the enemy will use the common and the ordinary to take us out. 
He has a plan for us and we don't often talk about it. Don't want to give the devil too much credit because he's already been defeated and all that kind of stuff. But the Bible says clearly that he wants to come to kill, steal and destroy from us. He wants to take us out. But the plan of God, the mission that Jesus came for, the vision that Christ had for us is that we could have life and have it to the full. And sometimes that means the fight is worth a fight. I'm sorry, son, I just care too much about you. I know we're going to have tension here. I know we're going to have conflict here, but this one's worth a fight. I'm sorry the answer is no. I can't come down from here. I'm doing a great work. I know, I know this is a great opportunity. I can make a lot more money, but it also comes with a lot more stress and a lot more headache. I, I, I'm, I'm going to have to decline I have, a, I have a great work to do with something that's a little more important than my day job. I have something a little bit more important to do than whether we can drive a new car or not. Oh, I, I know we're tired from last night and I know the, the weekend's full and, and I know these, these sports are really, really, really great, but, but I'm going to make sure that, that my family, I mean, that just for us, not for everybody, but you know, I'm doing a good work and I'm going to make sure that my family um, we're experiencing everything that God has for us and that we're building a life that lasts beyond this one. And so we're just going to go ahead and be in church every Sunday. And when my kids, kids graduate, um, we're going to go through all of their elementary, middle school, and high school years with them never asking the question, Mom and Dad, are we going to church today? Because they're just going to know that that's what we do. Because we're doing a great work and we can't come down from here. I know I've said a lot of examples here and I know they don't all apply to everybody. I'm just trying to throw some stuff out there just to think about. We're doing a good work. And it reminds me of what Paul told Timothy. Keep up the good fight. Keep up the good fight of faith. In Galatians, we're reminded, don't give up in doing good. Don't give up in doing right. There are some in here and you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, 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 that's awesome. My kids are in high school now and I've already screwed it up. <laughs> I've already messed up. It's never, ever, ever too late to start doing the right thing. It's never too late to start doing a good work. It's never too late to start taking action and being the example that we want our children to follow. It's never too late to gain new perspective and fresh vision from God about what he wants for our families, about what could be and should be. And what if, what if all of us in this room, what if we decided we were going to be the type of parents, we were going to be the type of leaders, we were going to be the type of, of worshipers together and leaders among us, that we were going to lead the way with uncommon big vision to see everything that could be and should be according to God's plan in our homes and in our community. What if we decided that we will do what we can do and Trust God to do and show up and accomplish all that he can do. What if we decided to have unwavering commitment through circumstance and opposition in the face of our enemy and say, I will not come down from here. I have a good work to do. I'm solid. I'm standing firm. I'm standing for what's most important. I'm following the vision. I'm taking action and I will remain. It's a lot. A lot like Jesus did when he was building his family. He came with 
uncommon clarity on his vision to seek and to save the lost. He knew why he was here. He came for sick people, not the ones who were healthy or thought they were healthy. He was clear on his vision. He took action. And yes, he experienced all of the things that we experience and all the temptation and all of the hurt and all of the suffering and all of the loss. He experienced that. He, he took action and yet he handled it the right way every single time. He was the perfect life lived, the perfect life that could become our sacrifice. And he ultimately, through his unwavering commitment, came to a place where he said, Father, God, you sent me here for a purpose. And I don't really want to go to the cross if I don't have to. I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want my beard to be ripped from my face. I don't want my clothes to be stripped off and beaten to where I'm unrecognizable. I don't want that, but my commitment is enough that it, if, it's, if it's your will, I know it's the best will. And I will submit myself to that. In this moment, I'm going to ask our communion servers to make their way forward as we're thinking about the incredible vision, action, and commitment of our Savior. I'm praying that we can have a moment with God. Even as we're standing in line, a moment of prayer as we receive communion to say, God, where do you want to expand the vision for my family? God, what action, what action can I take? I, I know I'm ordinary. I, I know I don't know that much, but, but I know I can do something and I can just trust you for the rest. I mean, it is really, really, really good news. I know that there's probably some stuff that, that came out like, oh no, how am I supposed to do this? Oh, I got to go write a vision statement for my family. And I, I, it can be a little overwhelming. Like you, you want me to raise a Christ-centered, biblically anchored world changers? Like I'm just trying to change diapers. Like I don't, I know, I know. There's a big, big, big gap between the vision that needs to be accomplished and what we can do. And the really, really, really good news is that as we do what we can do, as we remain faithful in the small things, he will always show up to do what only he can do. Our families, no, not, not going to be perfect. We're not going to be exempt from bad things happening. I can't even tell you that if you follow these three steps, everything's going to work out and your kids are going to be perfect. But I can tell you that he is our savior in the midst of everything that life brings our way. I can tell you that he is our savior and he is our strength when we are weak. He is our peace that goes beyond all understanding. He is the one who will direct our paths as we, as we acknowledge him in all of our ways. He is the one who says, keep up the good fight, fight, fight. Fight for your family because it's worth it. It's worth the fight. That's what he did for you and I. And that's what we can remember as we come to the table and as we pray and ask God, where do you want to challenge me and grow my vision? What action do I need to take? And God, could you, could you somehow give me the strength to remain committed, to stand firm for the sake of fighting for my family?